Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Practicology Podcast's second edition of Cloak, Books, and Parchments. The first one was episode 44 last December. We've got a few more books in mind for you now to maybe consider as Christmas presents or just to treat yourself with the joy of buying books. Isaac Watts said, Talking over the things which you have read with your companions fixes them on the mind. So we're going to follow Isaac Watts' advice. But before we do that, Mike, you've got something else you want to give our listeners a heads up about. Yeah, last year we not only had our first Cloak, Books, and Parchments episode, but in February we had our first I Love to Read challenge. And we want to do that again this coming February. And because it's coming close to Christmas and uh, maybe this is a time when you would buy a book or ask for a book on your wish list, we want to mention that right off the top so you can make sure you're ready for the reading challenge. Really excited to mention the book we're going to go through. It is an absolute classic. It's The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Maybe you read it as a child or at least a children's version of it, but it's a book worth reading and rereading and rereading. And so we want to go through it together uh, on the the podcast. We'll devote a few episodes to various themes in the book. And so, yeah, I really encourage you to have a copy of that book ready come February. Uh, The one that I have, and I really enjoy it, is published by Crossway, The Pilgrim's Progress from This World to That, which is to come. And the editor is C.J. Lovick, but there's lots and lots of editions. Just get any copy and uh, it'll work just fine. Mike, I've got here beside me on my desk a copy of Pilgrim's Progress published by Moody. Um, It's The Pilgrim's Progress in Modern English rendered by James H. Thomas. And I'm just wondering if you're allowing the modern English editions or if you want the original written in what, 1500s or 1600s? Well, definitely uh, the modern editions are just fine and maybe desirable. Um, the one I just mentioned is a, is a light modern updating of the English. And uh, yeah, I'd encourage that if it helps you read the book. It's great to have an edition with some scripture references, you know, the the book is absolutely laced with scripture, but to have the scripture references published in a footnote or at the bottom of the page is helpful uh, in case you miss some of them. And yeah, so, so definitely get a modern English edition if that is helpful to you. And so let's come back to this episode, Matthew, our second Cloak Books and Parchments episode. And why don't you tell us about the first book you have on your list this year? Well, Mike, you may recall in a much earlier episode when we talked about our daily scripture reading habits that it hasn't really been my custom of late to read the scriptures in the evening just because I find myself rather sleepy. But uh, it's changed now through the help of a book by Tim Keller along with his wife, Kathy. The book is The Songs of Jesus, A Year of Daily Devotions in the Psalms. And the text of the book includes uh, a scripture reading from the Psalms and then a paragraph of Tim Keller's comments on it. I'm not usually into daily devotionals. Uh, This one, I can say, has been excellent. I love reading it at night. Usually the last thing I do before I turn off my light, the text of the Psalm is in the book, as I mentioned, a short paragraph based on the reading or sometimes just a line in the reading and then a prayer that corresponds to the meditation. And I just try and take that thought to heart and think about it as I lose consciousness. There's an occasional comment in there that may betray some reformed or amillennial thinking. It's minimal. There are some great lines. I'm just thinking of this one from Psalm 97, which speaks about idols. When we make our career into a god, it demands, as it were, to be considered an end in itself. It whispers, only if you have me, only if you are successful, will your life be valid. 
Instead, Tim Keller says, you must let God's love and regard for you be the new ground for your identity. Then your career can be made to say, I'm important, but not all important. I'm just a way to serve God. Psalm 119, just where I've been recently. The Bible creates endurance, he says. Its promises lift the heart and its panoramic insights strengthen the will. It truly is spiritual manna that keeps us on our feet and able to go on. So just some great thoughts to take back to God in prayer and worship. The Songs of Jesus by Tim Keller, a daily devotional with 365 entries that take you through all 150 Psalms published by Viking Press. Well, that's a great uh, book to lead the list with there, Matthew. Uh, What I... What I like about that book is how it breaks up some of those psalms into very manageable chunks for each day. And uh, Helen and I found that it was a great book to do as sort of a couple's devotional. And so one, uh, we took quite a few years, I think, to go through it, but uh, just something short and sweet to end the day with and then to go into prayer together as a couple. So thanks for bringing that to us. Um, One of the reasons we do this book episode is because we believe books change our lives. It sounds like the one you mentioned is changing your life a little bit, Matthew. And uh, my first one is the same. Uh, My first one is you're only human, how your limits reflect God's design and why that's good news by Kelly Capick. I did already mention this book too on a previous episode, episode 86, Four Questions to Ask Your Stressed Out Heart. And uh, I would say no book helped me more this year than than the one I'm mentioning now. And uh, I'm not going to say too much about it, but every chapter, every page is packed with uh, very uh, profound and helpful truth. He, uh, he wrote chapter two, it's called, Does God Love Me? And I just wrote a little summary of the chapter. Um, Some of these words are coming directly from him. So this is both a quote of parts of the chapter and my own summary. Uh, but, But basically the chapter is saying this, we will never embrace our finitude as a good thing until we believe that God loves me, not just Christ instead of me. So the book does a great job um, reminding us of the doctrine of creation, of the goodness of being human, of the reality of our finitude, our limits, and encourages us to embrace our finitude, not to come to God and be constantly apologizing for, for our limits and saying, sorry, I should have done more, I, I, I should have learned more, um, I should have accomplished more, but, but learning to live within our limits. And so it has chapters on rest and gratitude and humility in the church and so on very, very helpful book. I highly recommend it. So that's You're Only Human by Kelly Capick, published by Brazos Press. Sounds good. Now, my previous book that I mentioned was very accessible to a wide audience, pretty well everyone. My second one is going to appeal to a much more limited segment of our listeners. It's called The Story of the Cosmos, How the Heavens Declare the Glory of God. It has a variety of authors, but it's edited by Paul Gold and Daniel Ray. This is not an easy read. In fact, I found a few parts very challenging to grasp, but that's partly because my brain is not well-trained in the sciences. Some of yours are, I know. The book is about the universe that's beyond our atmosphere and how the heavens point to a God who makes himself known in the wonder of his creation. The book's divided into three parts. Part one, the exploration of the cosmos with chapters on things like stars, black holes, meteorites. Uh, First, there's a great introductory chapter, actually. Uh, The chapter on black holes was fascinating. 
I loved it. The chapter on Tycho Brahe and Johannes Kepler, early astronomers and men of faith from the 15 and 1600s. That was fantastic. That Just a, a great story about them and the work of those guys almost 500 years ago is astonishing. Then there's a chapter on binary stars. Mike, do you know what binary stars are? <laughs> no, I don't, but I'm very happy to hear that there is such a thing. I... <laughs> Well, I read the chapter, and I still don't know what binary stars are. That I'm sure the author is brilliant. I have no idea what he was trying to tell me. That went way over my head. So all the best to the rest of you who may understand that. Part two is expressions of the cosmos in art and literature. Just three chapters in that section. It was excellent, including a chapter devoted to C.S. Lewis' thoughts on the heavens and J.R. Tolkien's thoughts about creation that he conveys in his book, The Silmarillion, which is the prequel to The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings that's recounting the creation of Middle-earth. So this part of the book is dramatically different from the other parts. So the book will appeal to different interests, and it's just an interesting inclusion. Part three is evidences pointing to the creation of the cosmos, looking at how modern science is not incompatible with a belief in Scripture's creation narrative. William Lane Craig's chapter is, again, not an easy read, nor is Daniel Ray's chapter on the finely tuned universe. Though Ray does spend some time helpfully talking about the theory of a multiverse, he says the multiverse isn't appealing to evidence we have, but to a theory that we don't have. I think that's well put. And these final few chapters, they do remind me why my belief in a creator God is not founded in scientific discovery, but in the word of God. But granted, they show that belief in a creator God is not inconsistent with science. So the book's not an easy read, though it's not, it's not really long, 240 pages, somewhat academic in style at times, but it does remind us of the mind-blowing wisdom of God in creating this massive universe. It makes me wonder at what all God is going to unveil to us in the ages to come. And I love how it concludes with some encouragement for us to practice some lay astronomy, but to do so like the Magi in Matthew's Gospel, begin with a single star. Daniel Ray says, that star led them to Jesus, and I believe that ultimately that's what the stars should do. So if you're interested in a serious read about the cosmos, you can consider the story of the cosmos, How the Heavens Declare the Glory of God, published by Harvest House. Mike, what's your next one? Beautiful. I hadn't heard of that book, Matthew, so thanks for putting it on my radar. Uh, my second one is a book that I had mentioned also previously on episode 75, Practicing Your Mental Follow-Through. Uh, I have since finished the book and found it so helpful. It's called A Still and Quiet Mind, 12 Strategies for Changing Unwanted Thoughts by Esther Smith. Uh, this is a book I'm going to be recommending to lots of people, I believe, in private conversation. It has three parts. The first is general approaches for changing thoughts. Second section is holistic approaches for changing thoughts. And then the final section is specialized approaches. And uh, who of us has not struggled with unwanted thoughts? And of course, it's so hard once you have an unwanted thought to stop thinking about it. Um, and this manifests itself in many, many different ways for, for us people. Uh, but overall, Smith has written a balanced book on a problem that affects a lot of us. And uh, the biggest help to me personally was just discovering that there are people in the world who, who have had the same kind of problems that I've had, and they're able to put words to describe it. Uh, chapter 10 on intrusive thoughts was especially helpful to me, where she deals with a, a problem that I have, the problem of scrupulosity. Each chapter, each chapter uh, goes through one of those 12 strategies for changing your unwanted thoughts, 
and each chapter ends with a, a practical exercise and she just walks you through um she says do this and then and then you do it and and uh yeah, they're, they're they're helpful it's it's really helpful and i also highly recommend this book it's a still and quiet mind 12 strategies for changing unwanted thoughts by Esther Smith, and it's published by P&R Publishing. Sounds interesting. Thank you. My next one fits in well with what we're trying to do on the Practicology podcast. It is a good example of practical theology. It is called, With All Your Heart, Orienting Your Mind, Desires, and Will Toward Christ. It's written by A. Craig Troxell. It's not a long book. I think 240 pages, paperback. I actually listened to this one as an audiobook. The book is certainly not academic, but it does require attentiveness, I would say. Uh, It's not a light read, but it's it's not a boring or a dry read either. It's providing us with an accessible theology of the heart as a theme in Scripture. Uh, Mike, what, what do I mean when I say, I had a change of heart? I guess it means uh, you, you had a new attitude or um, a new disposition to something. It's a Good. pretty profound interchange, right? Deep within you. And what about when I say Esther has given me her heart? What has she given me? She's given you herself, her love, her devotion. Good. What if I say, uh, well, it wasn't the right thing to do, but his heart was in the right place. Well, then we mean his motives and intentions, his desires were right. And what if you don't have the heart to go through with a mission? What are you lacking? Lacking desire, motive, uh, willpower, perhaps. Yeah, or courage, I was thinking. Uh, yeah. Those are good answers. And that it just shows how we use the word heart to capture a variety of concepts, and so does Scripture. And since the Lord says the greatest command is to love God with all of our heart, it's worth our while in getting clarity on how to practically do that. The author's ultimate conclusion, I'd say, is included in his subtitle, and that is that when the Scripture speaks of the heart, it may be focusing on our mind or our desires or our will, and Troxel packs this book full of scripture references to prove his points. That really caught my attention right off the start. And his points are that the heart and the mind work together to produce a holy life that honors God. So our occasional tendency to speak as if we can separate our thinking from our heart feeling is unwise. The second point is that our heart drives our desires, so make sure you guard your heart. Thirdly, our hearts need to be subject to Christ's authority so that our wills are conformed to his. So you've got our mind, our desires, our will. In other words, in scripture, the heart includes what we know, what we love, and what we choose. This is a good read. I wouldn't say it's one of the very best books I've ever read, but the reviews I'm bringing you today are more recent reads, or listens in this case, and this is good, and I recommend it to you. It starts out great with lots of good examples of how the scriptures use the word heart in different ways. And I appreciated that clear scriptural support. I thought the middle of the book went into a little bit of a, a lull. I wonder if he was a little too eager at times to squeeze in that model of Christ as prophet, priest, and king into this study. But then he gets much more practical in the latter section of the book. There are some great applications, challenging without being condescending. A very worthwhile read. Maybe some of our younger listeners might want to get this as a good Christmas gift for dad or mom. With All Your Heart by A. Craig Troxell, published by Crossway. Well, I can add my uh, recommendation to that too. I read that a while ago, Matthew, and found it found it quite helpful. All right, well, my third one is a book by Terry Glassby. Uh, Matthew, I'm wondering if you've read this one too. It's Discovering God Through the Arts, 
how can we grow closer to God by appreciating beauty and creativity? I, I think I saw you tweeting a Glaspie quote recently. Did you read this book as well? I haven't read that book, Mike. Terry Glaspie actually was one of the contributors to that book I just mentioned about the story of the cosmos. He wrote an essay exploring the way painters throughout the history of art have shown that same kind of fascination with the stars and constellation as have the scientists. Okay, so that's where that quote came from. Uh, anyways, uh, maybe, maybe you go on to this book then next, Matthew. I, I just love this book. Uh, Glasby points out that Christians are a little bit notorious sometimes for having a low view of art. And uh, Seth Griffin tried to help us with that a little bit on two episodes earlier this year. Don't know which numbers they are, but but we, we maybe often just view art as good for a decoration, says Glasby, or as a distraction, or as a sign of devotion. But art can be so much more. And so the author throughout the book shows that art can actually help us practice the spiritual disciplines. It can help us wake up and pay better attention. Art can, believe it or not, make us better Bible interpreters, better evangelists. And art can help us recapture our childlike sense of wonder, uh, help us deal with our emotions, and um, even the emotions of pain, the, the emotions we, we experience when we go through pain and suffering. So I won't say more about it. It's maybe a little bit too um, eager to encourage Christians to um, maybe watch things or listen to things that my conscience would not allow me to. Uh, Glassby is careful. And he doesn't want any of us going out and sinning against the Lord or against our conscience. But he, he is pretty strong throughout the book at, at uh, encouraging believers to um, learn to take in things in the art world that I would just draw back from personally. But I still think the book is well worth reading. I'll just give you one quote before uh, you take on the next book here, Matthew. But on page 69, he says, Beauty is the battlefield where God and Satan contend with each other for the human heart. So that's discovering God through the arts, how we can grow closer to him by appreciating beauty and creativity by Terry Glaspie. Thank you. My fourth one is by Paul David Tripp. It is called Lead, 12 Gospel Principles for Leadership in the Church, about 240 pages. Again, I did this one on audiobook. It is fantastic, I would say. I'm sure there's some places where the book assumes an evangelically typical model of a lead pastor or single pastor, but it also recognizes church leadership to be a, a team project. It involves a plurality. And if you're in a leadership role in a local church, or if you might be one day, I think you should read this book. And if you know someone who is in leadership, you could buy it for them. Uh, the book is not providing a 12-step model to a successful church or 12 magical techniques that will make all the sheep perfect adherence to your leadership. It looks at 12 gospel principles built upon characteristics such as humility, dependency, accountability, things that can help prevent pastoral failure and burnout. He's very local church focused in his approach. He knows that church is not a corporation or a media empire, but a community of gospel believing people. The book is not a hard read in one sense. It's certainly not academic. It's not long. It's not complex. It is hard in the sense that it is penetrating in its teaching and in its conviction that it brings to our hearts, it challenges us to keep being changed by the gospel. The book is Lead, 12 Gospel Principles for Leadership in the Church by Paul David Tripp, published by Crossway. Super. Well, I'm a little surprised to find myself recommending my fourth one here. It's called Jesus, Lover of My Soul, Fresh Pathways to Spiritual Passion by Julian Hardiman. 
And the reason I'm surprised I'm recommending it is because it's all on the Song of Solomon. And uh, yeah, this, this is a book that when I used to hear people commending a Christ-centered reading of it, I, <laughs> I used to fold my arms and, and disagree and sometimes push back uh, on the speaker a little bit. But I, I have come to take this position as well. Uh, I still believe that the song is talking about the love between a man and a woman, but I believe we are meant to go much deeper still. And uh, Julian Hardiman, at one point in the book, gives six biblical reasons for this spiritual reading of the song, of understanding that this is talking about Christ's love for his people. Um, but uh, I won't go in. It, it, the, the main strength of the book is just how it can potentially really reconnect us with the love of Christ. It is beautiful. The Song of Solomon is so precious. And uh, I won't spoil it by going in. This is, this is um, uh, a treasure that is waiting for you if you purchase this book. The treasure is in the Song of Solomon ultimately, but this book can help you view it and enjoy it in a very wonderful way. Uh, what, what I will do is just quote one part where he actually quotes Charles Spurgeon. So Spurgeon is imagining Christ um, explaining his love to, to an unconvinced Christian. And this is what Christ says to the Christian. He says, you have praised me, I will praise you. You think much of me, I think quite as much of you. You use great expressions for me, I will use the same for you. You say my love is better than wine, so is yours to me. You tell me all my garments smell of myrrh, so do yours. You say my word is sweeter than honey to your lips, so is yours to mine. All that you can say of me, I say it to you. I see myself in your eyes. I can see my own beauty in you. And whatever belongs to you belongs, and whatever belongs to me belongs to you. Therefore, O oh my love, I will sing back the song. You have sung it to your beloved, and I will sing it to my beloved. And so this is Christ seeing his own reflection in us. His, his uh, grace is beginning to be reflected in us. His beauty is, is beginning to rub off on us. And Spurgeon is saying, uh, based on the Song of, the Sol Song of Solomon, that we don't just praise and adore Christ, but he also praises and adores us. So that's Jesus, Lover of My Soul, Fresh Pathways to Spiritual Passion by Julian Hardiman, and it's published by InterVarsity Press. Happy to hear that you're seeing Christ in that song as well, Mike, that you're still growing in your scripture knowledge. That's good. <laughs> yeah, well, we're all making progress, hopefully. Uh, Matthew, I think you have one more book for us before we finish. I've got one more because I want to give a recommendation for parents to read with their children, maybe around the table or maybe as nighttime reading. It is called Leading Little Ones to God, A Child's Book of Bible Teachings by Marion Schooland. And I would say this is best for kids aged five to nine, would be my guess. We currently read it as our morning reading at the table in our family with one of the suggested scripture readings to accompany it. The book has 85 entries in total. They're divided across 14 parts. The opening parts talk about God, then a section on God's law, then God's love for us, then a part on the Lord Jesus, then the Holy Spirit, how we can become children of God, how young people can live for God, and then some material on what will happen in the future. Jesus is coming back, for example. The readings in the book are, I would say, medium length. It's not just a little ditty like you might have on the scripture meditation calendar. These are, these are meant to teach something. They usually summarize a Bible story, and I think they're written in an interesting way. There are some discussion questions at the end you can choose from. There's also a little hymn included. Sometimes you will know it, 
and sometimes you will have to make up a tune like I do. Leading Little Ones to God, a child's book of Bible teachings by Marion Schoolan, published by Eerdmans. Well, speaking of little ones, I'm going to try sneak in one more little book about little things here at the end. Uh, the book is called Small Things Like These by Claire Keegan. This is a novel. Yes, we are featuring a novel on this episode. And it is a brilliantly written Christmas story. It's set in Ireland. Uh, the, the author is a master of her craft. This book would be a super gift for literature lovers. I won't give anything away about the plot, but I will never forget this book. Um, it is very powerful in how it shows that our life and character consists of the little decisions that we make in our lives. I will issue this warning, though. Um, as you're thinking about buying it for yourself or others, there is, I think, one or two profanities, and uh, that's unfortunate. And um, so just weigh that in your mind, whether you would still want to read it. But if you choose to read it, it is a powerful, powerful book. Thank you, Mike. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Hopefully this will be a help for you if you're interested in purchasing some books, whether for Christmas or otherwise. We pray that they will be a blessing to you. Next week, we will return to our regular format of Practicology Bible Teaching. And we pray the Lord's blessing upon you and hope you have a great day. God bless everyone. 